say it again. Next on Fatherhood Friday. Jason Matthews says the coronavirus hit him out of nowhere last month. I had a normal day at work, got off at 4 o'clock, made it home about 5.15, I was just extremely exhausted. Days later, Matthews tells me his fever spiked, his first clue that something just wasn't right. always 77 degrees <laughs> I know you wonder like am I am I on the right podcast station of course you are welcome back to fatherhood Friday season three episode nine this is your host Chalmer how are you doing what's going on man this coronavirus thing is is still going on and it's now April Social distancing, staying in the house, kind of reminds me of being grounded. Like, you can't leave unless it's an emergency. Man. Can't wait for things to go back to normal, man. I think think we all kind of took for granted human interaction. Maybe the world would never be the same. Maybe it'll go back to normal. We don't know. But one thing we do know is that coronavirus, the topic, is, man, for lack of a better word, it's 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 becoming depressing. I mean, because you can't run from it. You can't hide from it. The numbers are still climbing. Um, and honestly, I'm kind of talking tired of talking about it and so that's why I last week decided to do an episode uh, that didn't have anything to do with the coronavirus but an actual uh, interview of a true story to kind of let you guys know that there's other things in the world that we can focus on um, besides the coronavirus that that needs uh, a voice that needs uh, inf- that people need information, need to be inspired to, um, that we need to pay attention to. And so I'm going to kind of reel it back in this week uh, as we kind of progress back into the coronavirus. Um, the other day I was talking to a friend of mine and found out uh, he contracted uh, the coronavirus. And so as we were talking, he was sharing with me his experiences, what he learned from it, and how he, his voice can inspire others. So I figured 
um, today, why not give him a call and, you know, ask him some of those same questions um, that we were having in the conversation yesterday. And so what I want you guys to do is listen, because his story is similar, but it's also different because it's his truth. It's his experience and everybody's experience is going to be different for those that contract it, for those that are impacted by it. I don't have uh, the coronavirus, but I was impacted by it. Why? Uh, I lost my job. Why? My kids are now being homeschooled by both their parents. Um, And so everybody that is listening to this episode, we're all impacted or uh, affected by it in some way, shape, or form. And if you're not, you know somebody that is. So do me a favor. If you're listening and you feel like this is a good episode, go ahead, copy and paste it and reshare it with somebody. Um, Two, I wanted to uh, thank uh, the two donators uh, that decided to donate to this podcast. I appreciate it, um, especially in this time of unemployment. And um, I'm going to continue to create great content, interviews to inform, inspire, make people laugh, and uh, all of the above. And um, another favor you can do for me if you want to donate as well is go to anchorfm.com, type in Fatherhood Fridays, and the tab that says support, uh, or maybe it says donate, you can click on it and you can donate anywhere from 99 cents to 9.99. The second favor you can do for me is subscribe. How do you subscribe? Uh, If you're listening to me from a phone, uh, Spotify app, uh, the Apple app, Google Podcasts, uh, if you like using Bullhorn, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Stitcher, um, I think I named eight or maybe I came close to it, but you can find me on multiple different platforms by just typing in Fatherhood Friday and looking for the Fatherhood Fridays and looking for the logo with the uh, white uh, background. And so I'm gonna go ahead and give Jason a call here and we're gonna get started with the interview of the conversation we had the other day. Give me one second. Hey, what's going on, Jason? Hey, hey, what's going on? Not a whole lot. Um, Today's topic, you know, um, I've been spending time and talking about the coronavirus from uh, from different angles. And so um, you're you're an individual that I know personally uh, that has contracted the coronavirus and now is in recovery. And so I felt like uh, you would be a great person to put on the air and and talk about your experiences as well as other experiences in your life. And so um, before we kind of get into that, um, I wanted to first kind of introduce who you are. I know you because your wife and my wife are good friends, if not best friends. Uh, so that kind of mm-hmm. makes us friends by default, <laughs> right, so to right. speak. Um, but for those that might be listening in another city or another state or another country, 
introduce who you are and tell us a little bit about you. Okay, my name is Jason Matthews. I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, I'm ex-military. I was in the military for eight years, did one tour in Iraq. Um, I was also a police officer in Baton Rouge for nine years. And um, I'm currently an adjunct professor where I teach criminal justice at Southern University. And I also work with veterans um, that are in need of housing. Um, so I've just had a little experience in different areas and uh, just been a pu- public servant for a long time now. So it's a little bit about me. Yeah. And so, I mean, from the sounds of it, I mean, you've had a decorated career where you've had to deal with people in, you know, different walks of life. Um, Absolutely. You know, how, how long were you a police officer? I was a police officer for approximately nine years. Uh, that's a, nine that's, years. That's a long time. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> some some people, you know, especially as being an African American, would be like, "Why would you choose a profession like that? Why Why did you gravitate to being a police officer?" And, you know, I, I usually ask people with their perception, "Why wouldn't you choose a uh, uh, that field or that career?" Um, most of a lot of people in our community, they have a negative perception of law enforcement officers, but. Um, uh, if you really want to change sometime, we have to actually put ourselves in that position to make those changes. And that's something that I want to do. I just believe in serving and helping people in the military. I was willing to die for total strangers, you know, who, so that they can have their their um, freedoms and be able to do things in our country. So why not do it for my local community as well? So I, that's a gift that God always blessed me with, just not, not to be um fearful and i would always be the guy to stick up for someone who couldn't defend themselves so that 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 was perfect for me after the military experience and conditioning so i somewhat fell right into it and it was probably one of the best jobs i ever had you know we always see the negative things on television but police officers i really believe that there are more police that are doing the right thing versus those that aren't and you have to think about police are willing to die for total strangers as well they sign up to die for total strangers it's one of the lowest paid uh professional careers so most are not doing it just for the money they actually like doing it you know i'm not saying they're not bad police but in every profession there are people who don't do good at their job from a mechanic to a teacher and there are those in professions who just do it for a paycheck it's just the uh, mm-hmm. difference is that the police, they do have the ability to take someone's freedom or someone's life. Mm-hmm. And that's just the sad part about it. But um, the majority of police I've ever met are, are, are great people. Do you, do you feel like you get more flack from your own kind or is it about the same black, white, Mexican, Chinese? No, I've had more issues um, from black people. Mm, and um, you're black <laughs> and, and I'm black yeah <laughs> you know I, I get more issues from black people in many different ways uh, I remember uh, a lady her residence had been burglarized it was a black lady and when I came she was disappointed when she saw a black officer she said well I want a white officer to take my report because I know it'll get done correctly and I'm a professor at a university but she didn't think I was qualified to do it she'd rather deal with a a white officer didn't deal with a black person. That's an older person. That's an example. And I got that pretty often. Or sometimes I'd be the first officer on scene. I'll ask a group of black guys what happened. 
they don't want to speak with me. But when the white officer comes, they'll ask the white officer, officer, can I speak to you? I want to tell you what happened. And I've been there for minutes. Wow. So I experienced that. Um, I've never had a white person call me out of my name, fight me as an officer in uniform. That's never happened in nine years. Wow. I've never had that. But I've been in several fights with black people. I've been called an Uncle Tom and all kinds of names just because of where I work and how I I support my family. Um, not that I had done anything to them or given the chance to even render service to them, but just because of where what I had on, I was not considered black. I was blue to them. I've been in restaurants where everyone go to the restaurant, go to the restroom, excuse me, before I could get served and they don't come out because they don't want to serve me. These are black people. White people want to pay. I, I get ready to pay. They've paid my food for my food. You know, they, they come and shake my hand. Black children, you know, their parents tell them, you, sh you should stop being bad. I'll get that police to put you in jail. That's, that's how our children are sometimes reared. But with white parents, they would say, hey, there's a police officer. There's a community servant. There's a public servant. Go, go say hello and see, can you get a picture with him? You know, and it's, I just see the difference with how we sometimes raise our children who become adults, um, men and women. And it, it sometimes carries over. And um, that's my experience. And I can only go off of whatever I, I've experienced for almost a decade. I mean, I mean, that's that's a lot to digest. I mean, a lot of times we don't get to hear uh, stories or a cop's experience on the other end. We always kind of hear the victim's experience. And so, I mean, what do you say out there now in this current state with with police officers that are trying to keep the community safe with the coronavirus? Mm. And this is just, this is all new to everybody um, for as how to stay safe from CDC regulations that are changing every day. Uh, of course, what I would say to citizens and the people is just to be as compliant as what your local law enforcement, your local government mayors have in, pretty much in, informed you that should be done. Um, this uh, coronavirus is not about race. It's not about uh, one's occupation. But it's really just about everybody doing what's best um, for our families and those who are around us daily. But it's definitely a, a learning situation. And, and at this point, I don't see a right way to do it. A lot of um, first responders are being infected by the virus because you deal with so many people um, from so many walks of life. Just think about it as a law enforcement officer dealing with uh, prostitution, dealing with homeless populations. Those are uh, in jails and you know homeless shelters, those are all unclean places. And people who have proper with prostitution and homelessness, those are people who definitely sometimes carry germs just because of their their situation. And police have to deal with them all day, every day. So it's just an unsafe um, situation. There's no right answer, and everybody's being affected by it. So I guess the best thing to do is just pretty much follow the guidelines of what. Um, your local government has instructed you to do? I mean, I think you said a lot in just those few minutes um, because the way I've, I'm kind of digesting it is, is that we're giving police officers so much flack, but they're the first ones to die for us. They're the first ones on the front lines to kind of keep us safe just as it 
not just as it relates to the coronavirus, but as it relates to many different things. How has your city, uh, Baton Rouge, I know you don't live in Baton Rouge. I think you live like an hour outside of Baton Rouge, but how, right. how has it been affected or impacted? Um, here in Baton Rouge, we haven't had any uh, major issues. Everyone is pretty much abiding by what our mayor has uh, requested as far as our stay-at-home policy. Our stay-at-home policy is really not as strict as some places like I see in Michigan and other places. So we're still able to go to grocery stores um, like your, your Walgreens or CVS. We're still able to go get our basic needs. We don't have... Um, a real curfew time we're, it, we're really focusing on the number of people as far as it relates to the social distancing now that could be a little bit of problem if anyone's familiar with the, the Louisiana culture this is crawfish season so we do what's called crawfish balls which well we you know so everybody's just been waiting on this season all year so we've had a, a few situations where we would have to disband um, meetings of uh, family and friends that are over 10 people uh, but that's just uh, the most we've dealt with. Everybody's pretty much doing well. We only have about 69 deaths is what I saw about an hour ago in Baton Rouge. But we do in Louisiana itself. We have about 23,000 um, citizens that have been um, tested, that have tested positive for the virus, which is a lot for the population of Louisiana. But the Baton Rouge area has not been hit as hard as the New Orleans area. Yeah, I've been uh, following on news and, and social media, the different hotspots. And I know New Orleans is, is, is one of those hotspots. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, you uh, it's, it's hard in, in Detroit and Philadelphia and New York City mm-hmm. and these different places where a lot of times there's a high influx of, of African-Americans that live there or, you know, make, make up the population. Uh, do you kind of feel when you first heard about the coronavirus, did you kind of feel, what was your thoughts on it when you first heard about it? I remember hearing the rumors that, you know, black people could not catch the virus. And when it first hit, uh, the U S it was hitting places like Washington state. Um, and that's just not a place where, uh, to my knowledge that has, a predominantly black um, um, population versus compared to some of the, the states here in the South. But I never was convinced that a, a disease could only, um, well, a, a virus could only be contracted by a certain race. That I never, I just didn't, I don't believe it. Uh, a virus, I think anybody can catch a virus. So, um, but I, have been noticing um, all the different articles about um, how African Americans have been affected uh, by a much higher percentage versus other races. And me being a survivor of COVID-19 and pneumonia, I now understand why possibly. Um, one of the things that uh, the, the conditions um, that was an issue when I was uh, diagnosed and being triaged was uh, a patient who has high blood pressure. I've had high blood pressure since I was 20. I'm not overweight. It's just my lifestyle, the Louisiana lifestyle, the rice, the pasta, the bread. Right, the beans, the sausage, yeah. the seafood. Yeah. I mean, it, everything. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you don't know how to eat no other way, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, if you don't have rice or potatoes, uh, that's a problem. 
right and, and here in louisiana and my my parents were on blood pressure medicine when they were teenagers 18 and not and that's not good i'm not saying it's not good but it's definitely um with a lot of african-americans our diets are not um as good as some races and um so I, I see high blood pressure and diabetes. That was a major um, contributing factor to um, those who had the more severe cases of COVID-19 um, because it does um, alter your heart um, for the size of your heart. When the pneumonia um, takes place, I learned that today um, after being cleared from my pulmonary specialist. He, he showed me an x-ray of the size of my heart when I was triaged versus today. And that's why it's an issue. It alters. It actually heightens and elevates everything: your heart rate, your blood pressure, your your pulse, your the enzymes in your liver. It 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 elevates everything. So if you already naturally have a form of elevation, along with the virus, it's going to elevate that a little bit more. That's that that's that can be an issue. And I think I think that's what people. You know, I think that's one of the missing links that a lot of people need to hone in on is that if you have health issues, you know, or health disparities, then you you become a prime suspect of possibly contracting the coronavirus. I know when my wife had, uh, you know, in the month of March and toward the end of March had a sinus infection, the doctor told her the same thing. They, they were like, because you have a sinus infection and allergies and an ear infection, you're more likely to catch the coronavirus. So you can't leave the house. So, you know, I found myself going to the store around the clock for me and the kids and and just doing what I had to do to, to try to keep her safe and get her health back in order while, you know, maintaining my own you know, stress levels, do, you know, before this kind of you contracted the virus, did you consider yourself a healthy person? Yeah, um, I run six miles a week. I'm in a local uh, run group where we do different. We do a few marathon, uh, 5K runs for charity every week. I usually do one every other week and I run at least six miles a week. Uh, that's 24 miles and a 5K here and there. So um, I'm pretty active. I play basketball. Um, a day or two a week, uh, go to the gym every other day. So I consider myself active and in shape. But, you know, I feel like uh, now hindsight is twenty twenty. but without having proper gear like gloves and masks, I feel like anybody can actually contract the virus. However, you being in good condition and no health disparities, that really comes in, plays a big factor in the recovery. Okay. Once you have the virus, so you even your NBA players who are in the best condition in this world, they still catch it. Right. But they don't. They don't really show the symptoms because they are in the best shape in the world. Right. Right. But even though I run six miles a week, that's nothing compared to an NBA player. So I'm not in the best shape in the world like them. So I feel all the symptoms. You know, they may just feel sleepy and tired, but I needed oxygen and. They, you know, for a week and I, you know, couldn't walk, you know, they, they don't, they don't experience that because they have a nutrition uh, specialist. They have someone to make sure they are taking the proper vitamins. They, 
they do all kinds of things that you and I don't have access to. So it, uh, being in shape and all that, it definitely plays a major part in the recovery. And it sounds like you're saying also your diet. I mean, have your you diet. have you even considered like, man, I might have to give up what I love to eat? It, I considered it, but like I said, I live in Louisiana, and that is my downfall in life. But and I never really care about a diet i'm in my 30s because i like the way my body looks i i can run miles i can run a a a six mile run right now um um my blood pressure even though i'm on blood pressure medicine to me it's the norm of most people in louisiana and um it's crazy that i just accept that but i make sure that my uh, everything else is correct. I'm not uh, approaching diabetes. Uh, I don't have any kidney issues, liver issues. Um, everything is ideal as far as my blood work. And you know, I can run. I can run miles. There, there are people who, who change their diet and eat perfect, and they can't do nearly what I what I do. Um, I'm late thirties. I can still dunk a basketball. You know, so I feel that I actually had an advantage going you know once i realized i had this this virus i thought i would be one of those who had an advantage because you know i feel like i had done, i'm not a smoker i don't smoke i don't drink alcohol or anything like that i don't drink sodas um so i still feel none of us are perfect when it comes to our diet and our regimen of, of exercise but i felt that i had way more positives than negatives other than what i eat and i don't eat big portions and you know so that was my perception but i was wrong <laughs> i mean hey i had a real hard recovery but maybe i was right because i also survived it you right. know a lot of people are not surviving so every mile that i did run and you know every alcoholic beverage that i didn't take and um it definitely it helped me i really believe that me being able to run six miles when it came to me lacking oxygen and I think the fact that my lungs were pretty strong, even though I was lacking at the time, I could have been lacking much more than what I was if I had not been conditioned. Yeah, I and you know, I think that's something to consider, you know, and I think this is good information for our viewers, you know, that are listening. Talk about a little bit, you know, when you found out, man, I contra- I contracted COVID-19, how did it impact you as a husband and a father how did it impact your spouse or your daughter i mean i know you had to be well in the hospital. it's still it's still an impact because i got sick uh the first thing is i came home from work and was extremely drained i took a nap and i woke up with a fever of 103 it never went under 101 for about eight or nine days so and i, I began to sleep about 20 22 hours a day my wife would only wake me up to eat and i would take a shower and then i sleep another 20 20 hours wow i did that for about eight days until i started having breathing issues and that's when i went to the hospital but i had already been quarantined before i was admitted to the hospital i was admitted to the hospital for seven days so now we're looking at 14 days i've been out of the hospital two weeks now and i was in in informed to quarantine again because I had viral pneumonia which is contagious the first two weeks so no, so now it's a month I haven't hugged my wife or daughter in a month I haven't had skin to skin contact a hug a handshake or anything like that in a month and I've been 
in for between four walls between the hospital four walls or in my room or the room in which i'm quarantined i've been in there for four months and a lot of people don't understand what i'm sorry for four weeks and a lot of people don't understand what that can really do to you until no one has touched you or you haven't had any type of uh exchange of dialogue face to face with somebody it really alters you and if you know anything about pets uh when you get a puppy if you ever had an aggressive dog some people don't allow you to get that dog without temperament certification and that shows that it has been socialized they won't let you get the dog until it's older and it's been around a lot of people and Mm -hmm. a lot of people have touched it and played with it that's because the nurturing side of that animal is there they feel that if if it doesn't happen they'll never get it back and it's the same with people you start to lose some of that and um when nobody touches you for weeks at a time, four weeks, and you don't see people, it definitely alters you a little bit. And my wife rubbed my shoulder the other day for the first time. She took her gloves off, and it just stimulated my whole body. It's kind of like if you're going on a fast. You said, I'm going to fast from all caffeine, coffee, tea, Coke for a whole month. Right. And when that month ends, you finally take a have a crushed ice with a Coke, you like, man, it's stronger than what I thought it was. You know, right, it's, because you've detoxed you know, from that. Right, right. It's the same way when someone does not touch you or shake your hand for four weeks. Yeah, and so, you know, social distancing can, can you know, create a lot of mental issues, you know, for the person that's dealing with COVID-19 and the people around them that have been impacted. I mean, I know I'm pretty sure you've talked to your wife on the phone or or FaceTime. It's not the same. Yeah. When you land in that hospital and every, you know, everybody's not surviving. Some people are passing away. It would be nice to have your spouse or family members there beside you while you go through this. But but CDC regulations, you know, a lot of hospitals are not allowing people, family members to come in at all. You know, it's just the patient. Yeah. So I did it by myself as far as family and, and friends being present. That was, that didn't exist at all. Wow. And, and I mean, I think we really have to think about, you know, is the risk worth the reward? You know, I'm, I'm hearing on the news, I'm hearing on social media and and different different outlets that some people are being rebellious against the coronavirus. They're still meeting up. They're still having church service. You know what I mean? But then you just explain like, look, this is a real thing. Like I couldn't see my spouse. I couldn't see my daughter. I couldn't see my mom, my dad. You know, what and I mean? you know that's not the hard part of it. The fact that there's not a cure for what's going on in your body and they don't know what doctors don't know what to tell you or what to expect or what's going to happen. The, the fact that your body feel like it could give up at any moment for 24 hours, for every minute of the day in which you're awake, you're in so much pain, so much discomfort. The breathing feels like you're being suffocated. The oxygen is not enough. You really feel like you're dying and that your body is about to give up. And for some people and for a lot of people the body does give up and that's a very uncomfortable place to be mentally just to have a barbecue right just to have a get together or just to have you know a church service you know and that's yeah to, to, to my point and to your point and so you know you know as we're kind of like wrapping it up what would you like 
you know, to tell anybody out there as a person that contracted it and is in the recovery stages, you know, what, what would you like to share with them? I would just tell them to be, to take it serious. I felt as if I did everything right as far as not contracting the, uh, the disease, but uh, I'm sorry, the virus, but I did. So for those of you who just don't think it's, it could happen to you, who don't think it's that bad, it is that bad. I just want you to keep in mind that even the drugs in which the virus is, um, doctors are using to treat the virus, they're still in the experimental phase. You look at the number of fatalities, obviously it's not working for a lot of people. So you have to consider that and it's far worse than the flu, far worse than any experience you can ever have and it does not stop. And everyone's body cannot handle it. And it's not worth um, losing your life and putting that stress on your loved ones to congregate with friends and unnecessary shopping and and things that are not when you're not being as careful as as you should be so I just hope that everybody I could be of an inspiration to some and and educate some as well that this thing is serious and it's real it's very real and so you you found I'm not going to say you found you've strengthened your faith in God because you've you've came out on the other side. And so the problem was uh, it it happened while I was going through the process after being there for 24 hours. I needed so much oxygen to breathe that they I was informed that they couldn't give me any more oxygen without causing damage possibly to my brain, my sight and et cetera. So they were going to put me on a ventilator, which is some called life support to breathe for me. Okay. And they gave me 20 minutes to speak with my family. Wow. In privacy to in privacy uh, to call them prior to they to them starting the process. I called my daughter. And she prayed for me and she could tell something what's up. And I just told her I'll call her tomorrow. And I was about to call my wife, but it's like God spoke to me and just said that I was calling on everybody but him. And mm. I immediately put the phone down and I prayed without ceasing. I prayed without ceasing. And I started talking to God and asking him to step in and fight my battles for me. That I had been fighting and I was not winning. And I needed him to fight for me. And I promised him that I would tell the world of his goodness when I... When we became victorious and I started speaking to him as if I knew and which I did know and I was confident that he was going to bring me through it. That this was the only way because the doctors were failing as well. And my oxygen level was at 80 percent with all of the oxygen in which they were giving me when they came back to finish the consultation. My oxygen level instantly went to 97 percent. Wow. And I no longer met the criteria to be on life support or a ventilator. And that's when things began to turn around and the doctors monitored me for minutes to see if there was something wrong. And I just smiled at them because I knew that everything was right. Mm. And I mean, yeah. That- and, and what's crazy about it, I was on a COVID-19 ICU unit. Everybody had COVID-19. It was more of a transitioning unit for those who were worse off and got kept me there an additional six days and the way it's set up is a huge window and I can see some people who didn't pass when they would be wheeled out in their beds and sheets um, and, and he just kept me there to, to show me how he had favor on me and how he had more work for me to do here I so mean, it definitely and I did this without being able to see my family or friends I mean that's amazing man and, and, and yeah. I mean it definitely gives us hope 
not in the doctors because they're only human and you know we're, human. We're, we're still in the early stages of corona 19 like you said Correct. we don't have a vaccine yet we don't have treatment Mm-mm. and so only experimental drugs yeah and you can see the look of defeat on the doctor's faces who are used to fixing people who are used to fixing diseases uh um you know medical exceptionalities and i could see it on their face that they were so disappointed that they were losing patients that it was just known that a percentage of these patients are not going to live no matter what you do and i'm thankful for them for the whole medical staff for doing everything that they could you know but i definitely could see um exhaustion and the look of defeat on all of them's face and it, it was bothering them i can see tears in some people's eyes so that's when i knew okay guys it's, it's it's you and i now yeah and so yeah. You're, you're here to tell about it on the other side and so you know i just wanted to thank you for your time you know you didn't have to do it i didn't know how comfortable you felt talking about it and so yeah you know i'm just glad you you know you're on the episode because it gives hope even in the midst of the storm you know god never said that he would keep us from the storm but that he would mm-hmm. be there with us while we're in the storm correct 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 and he definitely you know and i knew all this but it's different to witness him in the storm with you and to bring you out so i just have a whole new perception of things and you know and i'm just excited about whatever it is he has for me and and i and excited to see you know how this thing plays out and how many people actually get closer with god through this yeah yeah i mean i I know that that's going to happen i know that you know the good news the gospel is going to be spread because you can't only so many people can get online only so many people can do zoom and facebook live you're gonna have to you're gonna have to start church service in your own home with your wife and your kids or stepkids or cousins or whoever um Mm -hmm. you know you you're not gonna be able to wait you know, on the pastor, what if you don't have an internet connection? So or right. what if you can't get on, you know? And so um, I know that God is doing more than what we can see. And, and we just we just have to keep the faith and, and, and stay diligent. Right. Right. Yes, we do. 